Arachmania Press brings you Pen to Paper, a podcast where we delve into books with some help from the authors, the minds of those behind them. Can you walk us through the process? What were the key challenges? And so there were those who were claiming that he was a, a magician. I mean, just his, his intelligence, his brilliance. Uh, his patience. What is the most surprising thing you discovered while researching for the book? So please sit back and enjoy the interview. Alhamdulillah, salatu salam ala Rasulillah ma ba'd. Alhamdulillah, we're here with the brothers in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Sunnah Publishing and Meshid Sunnah in Grand Rapids and West Michigan. And inshallah, we wanted to talk with the brothers as it relates to the affairs of the Da'wah Salafiyah here in the area of Grand Rapids and West Michigan. And inshallah, the brothers can go around and introduce themselves and your duties here at the Masjid or Sunnah Publishing, inshallah. Uh, my, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is Salahuddin Ali. Um, I am uh, kind of the, the IT technical manager uh, for Sunnah Publishing and both for the Masjid um, I do some of the administrative stuff with the website and uh, social media, and then all of our uh, uh, our, our technical stuff in house, the audio stuff that we do, and some video editing as well. Uh, my name is Muad uh, Qureshi. So as far as sort of publishing, um, I guess I'm, I'm a translator, <coughs> and I help out with the pub- uh, publication of the of the books, uh, things of that nature. And then, you know, at, at the masjid, I uh, help out with the, the rules and things like that. My name is Tariq Abdul Abdul. Um, I just do uh, odd things, try to help out around the masjid when I can, help out with the IEP program to turn it over to like, the younger brother. And, and the part that Tariq left out is that Tariq, inshallah, is the leader of our, our dawah, our overall dawah outreach program as well. Is in the works right now. Hey, inshallah. So, as I said to the brothers earlier, we were talking about this, and we commonly read on, on online and hear that uh, the masjid is the first Salafi masjid in, in West Michigan. Um, I'm curious if you can give us something of a history of the Dawah Salafiya in this area, in uh, Grand Rapids in particular, and in the West Michigan area in general. Okay, so, so let's begin with the Dawah Salafiyah in this area in particular first, and then we can broaden more to the Islam in, in this area. So as far as Dawah Salafiyah in, in this area here in Grand Rapids um, that I'm aware of, I first moved to Grand Rapids in, in 1997. Um, and, you know, I was still in high school at the time. And alhamdulillah, I had learned about Dawah Salafiyah maybe a, a year and a half before that. Uh, and so, you know, I was... I st- at that time, I would still consider myself new to the Dawah, and I'd moved from, from Toronto, um, and I wasn't really too keen on, on moving here just because of what I saw of Islam, mm-hmm. was that um, at that time, there were uh, three masajid that I was aware of. The first one was, the, as far as I know, was the first masjid in Grand Rapids, which is the masjid on Burton Islamic Center there, and that was basically just um, a... Uh, it was a masjid of Muslims who were just, um, you know, practicing Islam to the best of their ability. They were just awam. Um, but you had other other groups in there. So there was a group of, of uh, people from Jamaat Tabliq who would feud with the 
administration because the administration was more uh, progressive in their thinking. Um, you had the second masjid that I became aware of was Masjid Muhammad, uh, which was the, the local uh, WD Muhammad community. Their masjid was a little bit further down. And then, uh, or actually, those were the only two masjids at, at that time. Later on, there was a, a different masjid that was formed, the masjid that we were talking about earlier today, uh, which they called themselves Masjid Tawheed. Now they're on East Paris. So in, in that makeup, there was nothing here that I saw that was even remotely resembling the Salafiyah. So, you know, I, I felt quite alone here and I, I wanted to get out, uh, you know. So you had, um, at that time, there, there was a, a decent group of, of, uh, of Pakistani Muslims, um, fairly well off in terms of, you know, fairly affluent and not really religiously minded. Um, you know, you had some, some Arabs of different degrees. There was a very small Somali community here at the time. It's grown considerably since then. Um, and, and then the, the WD community seemed like it was fairly small too. I don't know if I saw a full representation of it. I only went to that masjid once, uh, you know. And then the, the Jamaat Tabligh who, who were here, you know, like, like I was saying before, they, they weren't the Jamaat Tabligh that I was used to before. Because, you know, coming from Toronto, all of the people from Jamaat Tabligh that I'd come into contact were always Pakistanis. So this was the first time that I saw Jamaat Tabligh made up of people who were predominantly African-American and who were reverts to the religion, uh, you know. And so, you know, it was, it was a different type of uh, Jamaat Tabligh than, than what I knew of, uh, even though they're, you know, they're, they still adhere to, you know, the main concepts of Jamaat Tabligh even till today. The message that they have, so it was it was pretty desolate as far as Darat Salafiyah at that time. Over time, Alhamdulillah, we had you know brothers from here and there who had some inclination towards the Dawah. People who fell off, people who were you know struggling with issues of dunya and, and different things of that nature. And I, I would say it wasn't really until um, 2004. Yeah, but you had some about the brother who um, who was here with you back in '97, the one that passed away from Allah. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, so there was a brother named uh, Rashid, who, who was a new Muslim as well. He had um, he had just gotten out of out of prison as well, um, and he'd come to the masjid. African American brother, and he was he was just new to Islam, but he was already looking for Quran and Sunnah, and so I would you know talk to him about Dawat Salafi, and I would you know give him some books and, and things of that nature, and he was very receptive, Alhamdulillah. Um, but I would say maybe by ninety eight ninety nine at some point. He, uh, he passed away. He was up in Saginaw to visit his parents who were non-Muslim at the time. And he was, uh, from what we found out, he was sitting in his car outside. So he wasn't even doing anything. And he uh, he got hit by a stray bullet. Uh, and he passed away, rahimahullah. Um, and because he didn't have a, uh, a will together, and his family was all non-Muslim, there was nothing that the Muslims here were able to do uh, for him. And they ended up giving him a uh, Christian burial. Uh, you know, so, so that was with one brother, and so so anyway, f- fast forwarding, and then I went back to Toronto for a while, and then here, I would say around two thousand, late two thousand four, early two thousand five, um, you know, we had uh, I came into contact with Salahuddin, uh, you know, and you know we had a few other brothers here who were receptive to the Dawah. You know, some of them moved away, some of them moved away and came back and aren't really around like that anymore. But that's where the Dawah Salafia grew from. I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead. No, no, um, no. But as far as 
you want to go to Sunnah Publishing now or is that later? okay? So let's 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 stop there for for now. That's that's where we had a few brothers, young brothers coming to the Dawah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where we started. Uh, well, you know, we just started to travel, starting to do those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, I'll let Sahdin expound more on Islam and Grand Rapids in general. But I'm curious. You mentioned the Jamaat Sabliya. Was that the the predominant? Group no, no. so uh, it wasn't the predominant group, but the thing about Jamaat Tabligh at that time here was that those were the only people who would dress outwardly Muslim. Those were the only people who would wear, you know, thobes and so forth, because the rest of the Muslims here were, you know, very progressively minded. They were very much on, on the thinking of, you know, we keep our religion for ourselves and, and we go outside. And, and it's mainly made up of people who were immigrants, people who came here, you know, seeking dunya and seeking those kinds of things. So those are the people that are running them sided at that point. Those are the people that are, you know, even the WD community to, to an extent also very dunyawi minded as well. Uh, you know, and so so that's who, you know, even even till today, like, like you know, what you were saying earlier, here in Grand Rapids, now, you know, Salafis are becoming a little bit more prominent. But even till very recently, really, when people see us in our thobes, a lot of people still confuse us for Tablighis. Mm. <laughs> Because they've been around here longer. Yeah. They've, they've been out in the open. The, the, um, and as, you, as you mentioned, it's unique for African-Americans to be in Jamaat Tablee, but not necessarily unique for Michigan because mm. Michigan has had, they've had a big stronghold here, um, partly due to some of the Muslims that when they first came into Islam, majority of them, they were coming from the nation of Islam. But there were some that came in contact with the Sufis and stuff way back in the 70s and 80s and everything too, especially like the people in Detroit who, they ended up sending them to South Africa and different places where they studied it. Um, but the majority of the African-Americans that were Muslim here were people coming from the Nation of Islam in the 70s. Um, my family came from that background, too. My mother and, and father's side, they all took their shahada, not took the shahada, took their ex and got their letter right. and all that stuff in the late 60s and the 70s. And um, the nation did have a strong presence here um, in Grand Rapids way back in, um, going back as far as, from, as far as I know, going back to like the 1940s. Because they had some people that were connected to, you know, the early founders here, Barb and all those people in Detroit, Chicago, between those two cities, um, were like the headquarters of, of the nation. And um, Malcolm himself lived in Lansing, Michigan, which was only an hour away. And then before he even joined, his brother was the person that was active in their dialogue. And he would he was actually here in Grand Rapids. Some of the older Warfi Muhammad people knew him from way back in the forties and stuff like that, and they would sit and houses where they were giving their dawah and then they grew from that point on so they had some connections here but um in 75 um the community obviously split um, a lot of people they said you know it went back to the dunya went back to christianity and everything and then my mother and uh, some of the people that were close to them they all stayed and went with Wardi muhammad and became muslim at that time and so i was born into myself my siblings also born into islam through that way but uh, as, as our brother mentioned, the Wolfie Muhammad people that were here, um, I would liken them to very weak, like Aquanis, in the level of their practice of Islam. Like, you know, Islam is a name only for the, for the most part. You know, you may have Muslims that we, like the biggest thing for us was going to Juma once a week or something like that growing up. And so um, I lived here from, obviously I was born in 79, so I lived here all throughout the 80s and 90s and everything. And we did maintain a masjid at the time. Um, it was always in some building or some you know renovated building that they were working on, and over time they um, the imam there he ended up getting more involved with more real estate and things like that too. So we got better places over time, um, but that was the one masjid, 
And uh, it's, it's ironic because you know, Moai was, he first came and was a part of the Pakistani community when we was growing up. We were taught never to interact with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, you know, stay away from the, the Arabs. They didn't know Pakistani from an Arab, right, at the time. They'll, they'll confuse you in your religion, right? This is the nonsense they would tell us, you know. I remember wanting to go to Hodge back in the Malcolm X movie days, right? And uh, and they was like, oh, you don't want to go there. They'll, they'll mess you, they'll confuse you, you know. This is what they thought. Um, even some of the people in the community, they, they looked down upon Malcolm, like what he did, and that he went and, and overseas and everything, too. So, and blamed him for what happened to himself, you know, some things like that. So, there, there, there was, that was kind of the attitude. So, it was very, very um, black nationalist oriented still, even though they had left that nation stuff, right? The amount of state tied to nation people and nationalists and politics, right? So that's what I grew up around. So that was present in Grand Rapids. And um, I want to say they, they had been there since the 70s. The Pakistani mentioned when he was open, like 83 or something like that. I know he, he mentioned this at his funeral, too. He was like, I was here when I was, he was like, yeah. Noah, he said, Noah, welcome. It would have been like early 80s or It was in the early 80s they opened up the Pakistani um, mass masjid. They actually took, was it the Jehovah's Witness place? Yeah, it was really in Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. Yeah, Jehovah's Witness. They bought the building and made it into the other, basically the second masjid in town. So you had these two masjids in town, but they stayed totally separate, you know, for the most part, just, you know, Pakistani culture, black culture. Even and that they was, were physically fairly close by. Yeah, very close. So and not until, I want to say maybe 96, 97 time, you know, that's when more refugees started coming here. The war in Afghanistan, I mean, war in Bosnia and the war in Somalia brought a, a bunch of immigrants here. So I remember meeting the first Somali family that came when they, when they came to, they're like, go to the masjid, go to the, and they, you know, the refugee programs thinking they're black, they sent them to the African-American Wolfie Muhammad masjid. And, um, and, 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 you know, they kind of were like, whoa, this is not really like the Islam we used to, you know. So they ended up, many of them going back to toward the Pakistani masjid and started going there and attending there more so than in the Wolfie Muhammad masjid. And so uh, at that time I was, you know, just growing up in the Wolfie Muhammad community and um, I ended up leaving um, in 99, went to the military, the Marines. Um, while I was in the Marines, I ran to some other brothers from Pakistan and from different places. And I finally had an opportunity to talk to other Muslims outside of my community because we stayed only in, you know, isolated. So I started talking to those brothers, met some other Wolf D. Muhammad brothers, people who had books and stuff. And we, they started sharing their books that were different books from other communities. And uh, I remember reading about the Prophet Muhammad and his life and his wives, and I was like, man, wow, we didn't even know much, much about religion, right? We heard about it, but it was like mythical, right? So, <laughs> so I remember reading that stuff and being just amazed. And, um, and as I started to read more and more, learn about Bukhari and Muslim, I didn't know those, right? We only knew, we had a 40 hadith book, and um, you know, the imam had like a book of hadith quotes some weird translation, but that was like the only thing we had heard of a hadith, right? So... That was my introduction to, to the Sunnah, like just learning a little bit about it and learning more and more. And so throughout my time in the military, um, I started to you know, try to grow and learn and start to practice more and become more serious. And um, 9-11 happened, you know, so I was away from home at the time. I was in California when it happened. I was just communicating back and forth with my family. And um, I had only heard about what was going on at the Pakistani message, but in the world of Muhammad Masjid, they kind of were like, you know, isolated still, thinking like, well, that don't really affect us, you know, that's not really, you know, we obviously looked at it from the perspective of, you know, if we were here in America, obviously, but um, World of Muhammad, they were kind of like, yeah, well, you know, those Arabs, you know, they, they attack them, right? So, unfortunately, that perspective was like that. And even myself, you know, being in the military, you know, many of us had the idea, well, 
uh, America has been attacking over there. That's kind of what they get, you know, not even thinking about the context of Islam and what was going on with those groups. Um, so that's what was going on in the War of the Muhammad community. I ended up, because um, I was in the Marine Corps on active duty, I ended up, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, get asked more questions by people. So when that happened, people said, you're a Muslim, what's, what's going on here? What's happening there? So I ended up um, getting asked so many questions myself and being in an environment where it was like pressure, you know, people were threatening Muslims. People were trying to, you know, talk about when we get to the war, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill them, we're going to do this and that and stuff. So um, we had many brothers that were there with me stationed that were under those threats. And so myself, I wanted to find out more about, you know, Islam and find out what was really going on because I didn't know anything except, hey, Muslims don't kill themselves, right? We know that. It's in the Quran. So I ended up having an opportunity to go overseas to um, to Saudi, actually, and um, in the military. But um, I was kind of hesitant and I, I waited too long and the position left. Then there was another opening in Bahrain and I was like, well, I'm going to take this one. So I ended up taking the opportunity to go there to Bahrain and, and, and went there and um, alhamdulillah when you get there you know they find out that you Muslim they say go talk to the Dar- Discover Islam organization which is like a government organization that you know it's for Sunnis you know it, it, they have a big Shia president obviously but um, they send you there and so you know when I met there, met the brothers there at the Dallas Center I started learning more about the Sunnah and I was calling back home to the Wolfie Muhammad's and talking to the Imam and saying hey I'm learning about the stuff in the Sunnah and, you know, and these are a lot of things that we'd never learned. We didn't know any of this stuff like that, too. And um, they was telling me, hey, tell them we need some money. Send some money back. And they, they, were, they weren't thinking about no knowledge. And the brother's like, no, 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 send your imam here. We'll teach him. You know, and that's that's kind of the, the push and pull. They were saying, we want money. And, and they were saying, no, send them. We'll help teach them, too. And help learn there. So I ended up making Hajj, alhamdulillah, with one of the group, one of the Dawah centers over there. And um, had a beautiful time. And got a chance to really... Just opened my perspectives of it. And so when I, um, a lot of things happened. I met some Hizbis when I was over there. I met uh, Kali Asin. Um, I seen Zachary Nike. I met Bilal Phillips. I went to, actually went to the Emirates and, and met him face to face and talked to him about, you know, Islam and about where I should study and things like that. And he said, go to Medina. He didn't tell me that. Because uh, at the time he had his own university there in, uh, in Sharjah. And so I, I decided I was going to go back home to help my mom, help my family out, because I thought that was more important than staying in the military, obviously, with all the crazy stuff going on the war. And, um, and and just go home and just go back to college and, you know, help out, do dial things here locally. Because at the time, we were getting asked all those questions after 9-11. And so I was home. I ended up getting married. And I was just studying. I had picked up so many books when I was there that I was taking from everything. I was in Bilal Phillips here and, you know, this one there and just all everything had got all these quantity books, different books and things like that, too. So I was studying and was confusing myself even more. And uh, alhamdulillah, about a year after after getting home, I came in 03, a year after getting home in 04, I met some brothers in the community who was just starting to study Salafia and they introduced me to Moad. And um, Moad was like, Moad, you need, to, you need to start doing some stuff right away. Like, you know, I had been organizing events, but they were with the Hizbis, you know, obviously with the Warf D. Muhammad. I think the 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 message of he started after 9-11, right? Yeah. That was like when it started. So 9-11, they had a big split in the Pakistani masjid. And uh, the Arab majority, Misri, Egyptians, and some aliens, and a little bit of everybody else, they left the Pakistani masjid and said, we're going to open our own masjid because they didn't agree with... I, I wasn't there for the for the detail. I, I, I wasn't there either at that time. I'd already left by going back to Toronto by then. But from what I was told, uh, as I understand it, 
so you had the masjid in Britain, which was mainly the, I guess you could say, the immigrant Muslims masjid. Um, and at that time, the, the Tabiqis were always also coming there too, because that was really the only place nobody else was going to Masjid Muhammad except for the WD community. Yeah, After 9-11, there was a strong disagreement in the community as far as how certain issues should be handled as far as Masjid security and stuff of that nature. And there was a split. So the, the Arab brothers mainly spearheaded there was a, another imam there at the time too, not an imam, but another individual who was helping out that was kind of helped spearhead this, I forget his name at the moment. So they all got together and they purchased a place on Jefferson. Yeah. And that was the initial school. That's where everybody went and the Tablighis went with them. Then they purchased a place on Fuller and Michigan. So the Arabs went there, the Tablighis stayed at Jefferson. So that's how you got Gil Burton, which is the Pakistani masjid now, or what we call the quote-unquote Pakistani masjid. You got Jefferson, which is the Tablighi Masjid, and you got Fuller, Michigan, which became the quote-unquote, not, it wasn't just for Arabs, but it became like the predominantly Arab Masjid. And so, at that time, out of the three, we went to Fuller, Michigan, for the most part, the, um, the quote-unquote Arab Masjid, because that was the, the least of the evils. Yeah, at, at the time, I was still attending the Warped Imam Masjid. I would go to the Pakistani Masjid because I met the Imam there, and he said, "Oh yes, you know, you should, you should come and sit and study because you know everybody pretty much left him, you know, for the most part." And so when I met him, I um, at the time I had learned, I had heard Salafia, and I was saying I was Salafi, but I didn't really know what Salafia was. Still, I was still confused. It's in the Balad Phillips, right? Thinking it's something you pull together and it's you know it's mixed. And so when I met him, he was like, "Yeah, you should come sit here and study with me and everything." I said, "I was like, well, what method do you follow?" He said, "I'm Hanafi." I said, okay. He's like, well, I said, I, I see. And so he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, you should just follow the method or whatever your local imam is, right? <laughs> this is what he tried to tell I'm like, no, no, no. I'm from the Warped Muhammad Masjid. I go to the other Masjid. I was traveling around to all of them and um, and just trying to figure out why there was so much disunity. I couldn't put my finger on why it was split like that. But um, I knew brothers at all of them. And um, I knew some of the Tablighi brothers and that kind of stuff like that too. So I didn't know Brother Tark, he wasn't here, but you've been quiet and everything too, but you got to tell him where you yeah, came you, in. You, you, well, you found out about Islam. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm interested in, in your, your, your version or your, your, your recollections of the history here. Um, I first came, <coughs> basically came in contact with Islam was uh, some Tablighi uh, friends from our neighborhood. African American. African American, yeah. So they was. Uh, Muslims, and then I really didn't know too much about it. Really, wasn't interested in. It. I was just in the streets, hanging out in the streets, doing um, nonsense. So, but I I was under the impression that the Nation of Islam and uh, the, the Tablighis and all that was the same. I didn't never knew. And then uh, so we started. A lot of people from my neighborhood started listening to uh, Farrakhan, and sometimes we listened to the. Uh, Top leakage from my neighborhood and stuff like that. So we just everybody, a lot of people in the neighborhood, like most of them, stopped eating pork. So like I was telling you yesterday, I thought just because I didn't eat pork, I was Muslim. You know what I'm saying? So I thought I was Muslim the whole time. So one day I'm at uh, work and the guy said, uh, uh, Mustafa was there with me. And he said uh, he was talking to him. He said, uh, uh, "When did you take a shahada?" I'm like, "Shahada? Like what is that?" You know what I'm saying? So he told me afterwards. So I'm like. Like, man, the whole time I'm thinking I'm Muslim. So around this time, I end up uh, getting indicted. I get indicted for, uh, in 97, I get indicted for a drug charge. So uh, I, I went on a run for like two years. So while I'm on the run, 
um, in 98, around May of 98, uh, um, I came and I talked to a couple of Tablikis, and my name is Tariq, and I think Mustafa was there too. And they was just telling me about Islam, and I can't remember exactly what they were saying, they tell me about Islam, and asked me that I wanted to take my Shahada, so I ended up taking my Shahada again in 98. And I'm on the run, so I know they, they go out and go all over for three days and all this stuff they was telling me about. So this is like a perfect opportunity for me to just go and be in all the mosques while I'm on the run. I ain't got to really worry about the police catching me and stuff like that. So I took my Shahada and went out for like 40 days. So I was just like going all over, like the same mosque from Kentucky all through um, uh, Kentucky. Atlanta, Georgia, Tennessee. So I was just staying in all the different miles, three days here and stuff like that. And just, I really didn't under, understand it because, and this is one of the things that we all know they do now. I didn't even know nothing about Tabliki. Now I'm just saying it because I know who it is now. But back then, I didn't like, I didn't know the difference or nothing. So they wanted me to get up and give a talk. And I didn't even know my left foot from my right foot, basically. <laughs> and so I'm scared. I'm like, what? Get up and get a talk. Because I'm kind of like shy. I'm standing off. It's like, you know, so I'm already shy. I'm like, give a talk about what? So they just talk about Islam. They just go on these people. Imagine and give a talk. So I'm up all night scared for like three or four in the morning trying to study and try to see what, I, what I'm going to say. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I got, really got introduced to Islam so from friends that I know. And stuff like that. So about a couple years, I'm trying to fast forward. A couple years um, later, I'm staying in Lansing, and then I end up uh, somehow they found out where I was, so I ended up going to prison. And while I'm in prison, you know, I went to the federal joint, uh, federal prison, and they really wasn't no one there was in Southfield uh, on the Southfield Dower there in the, in the prison. So you just going to prison and just like Muslims just everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So. After a while, a couple years after I'm being, I finally meet some Salafis. I was in for about three years, and I met some Salafi Muslims. So that's how I got introduced to, to Salafia. You know what I'm saying? They wasn't really strong, strong like that, but we started getting the books of Sheikh Ben Bad, Sheikh Muthaymin. We started getting all the books of the different Sheikhs and stuff like that, Sheikh Albani and stuff like that. So I'm still like, as, as I know now, I'm really still not Salafi, but I'm reading all the Salafi books. So I'm learning all the different principles and things like that, how to pray correctly, all this stuff. So I'm still talking this top leaky stuff, though, you know what I'm saying? But I still got these different books and stuff. And I'm reading, at first I was reading all different types of books, the, the Zal and Maud and all this stuff. But surely, but surely, after reading, started reading Fatu Islamia and all these different books, started learning, like, about these top leakies and all this stuff. So that's when I started slowly but surely getting getting away from that side and I really become a Salafi, you know. And as far as Salafi here, like I, I was saying earlier, I didn't know what I was going to do when I get home because I just knew I wanted to be with the Salafi. So only what I knew because most of the Salafis in there was from Philadelphia. So I say I want to move to Philly. This is where everything I'm knowing about is the brothers Germantown. That's all I want to know. I want to go to Germantown. This is what I want to do. I never knew we had any selfies in Grand Rapids, so that's why I wanted to go there. So I'm buying all these books, kind of starting buying all the books from the uh, people in the South and stuff like that, the scholars. And, and I come across the, one of the Sunnah publishers' books, and it said uh, that's how I knew it was a, a selfie magic, but it was had a the address when you guys just mentioned that y'all was on Fuller and. Uh, 
Florida or Michigan. So I started writing it, but y'all had already left from, from the place. I'm like, man, nobody's getting back with me. Nobody's getting so back with me. But I was like, now I want to come home, you know what I'm saying? You know, because you always want to go home to, you know what I'm saying, when you used to. So I'm like, man, I'm so excited. So I'm still trying to write and stuff like that and get in touch with him. So my co-defendant ended up coming home, and he uh, ended up getting in touch with, uh, I forgot how he got in touch with, uh, getting in touch with Moaz and Salah Dean. Mm-hmm. And then he ended, ended up giving me their numbers, and I started calling mm-hmm. calling from the uh, prison and talking to him. And he started you know, collaborating like that. He was just talking to me, giving me advice, calling. He would call. If he didn't know the question, the answer, he would call and talk to somebody and get the answers for me. So that would really... That, that helped me out was to let me know what other books I should get stuff like that and then I just came home and then uh, soon I came home I got with these brothers and that's how I, I really found out about the Selfie and, and got with the Selfie brothers when I came home. I was talking to here. What year did you come home? Oh, I, I was in for like 17 years so I came home in October uh, 8th of 2015. Oh, okay. And I actually went to Detroit first. I went home to Detroit and then, um, because they let me out soon, they gave me more halfway out, so they let me out sooner to go to Detroit. And then I just stayed in contact with them and she kept getting advice from the brothers until I moved here and I got married and moved here in December. That's, that's a, I mean, a perfect segue because you, you, you found out about this from the, from the books, from the, some of the publishing uh, translations and the publications. So that's a perfect segue into the history of, of some of the publishing as uh, a press and as an organization, a Dawa uh, Center. So if you can kind of give us a little background or history on, on Sunnah Publishing. Um, so, so Sunnah Publishing, really, um, the, 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 the idea behind it, um, I guess, really has to go back to uh, our brother, uh, Sheikh Abu Khadija in the UK. Um, because, uh, so, so like now we've come to 2004, 2005. I mean, at that time, we, we had you know a few, maybe a handful of brothers with us who were young, and who were you know now starting to you know try to be upon Sadafia. and again, still there was there was nothing here as far as any masjid or merkaz or anything like that, and you know I didn't really know what what to do anyway. So we were advising everyone to move to the other cities where there are Salafis and get out of Grand Rapids. There's nothing here, um, and so this was around 2005. And, you know, for those who were around back then and know what was going on in the Saha, there was, you know, a uh, concerted uh, uh, effort uh, against Maktaba Salafiyya in 2005. Uh, you know, uh, really an international effort, I guess you could say. And so, uh, during that time, um, I had been I'd been out of the loop for a while, since like late 2003, I'd been out of the loop. I've just been working, uh, you know, helping my, my parents and so forth. So I wasn't really involved in any, any da'wah per se. And, you know, we had had a relationship with Abu Khadija before in the years prior. And around this time, um, you know, one of the, the individuals had, had called me and, you know, was basically um, very uh, excited about, you know, the, the, the speech of uh, Khalid al that had come out against the Mektaba and that there was another one coming and, and so on and so forth. And I didn't know what was going on. And I just explained to him, well, I mean, you know, the brothers have done, you know, so much work. And so forth, you know, if you throw them off, you know, how are you going to re- replace all of the work that they've done? That, that, that's what I said at the time. There was a lot more to it that I found out afterwards. But anyway, you know, one of the things that he was telling me was like, he's like, yeah, and you know, if, if Abu Khadija calls you, don't answer his calls and don't do this and, the, and don't, don't listen to them and so forth. And 
I just the collab just didn't sit right with me. And, and again, like, I don't know all the details of what's going on right now because I've been out of the loop for a while. And something inside of me just said, you know what? I, I should call the Bukhadija. So, so, so I called the Bukhadija and told him what you know what had been said to me and, and everything else. And we got started talking about other things. And we started catching up because we hadn't spoken in, in a while and, and so forth. And that kind of went on. And I want to say maybe you know later later in the year as we're speaking, you know, he was asking me about you know doing the translations and getting back into those things and and so forth. And so Abu Khadija, you know, he said, you know, you guys, you know, you're there. You have a few brothers with you. You know, you guys should try to do something as far as the dawah, you know, like, like what, what was done in Toronto before, you know, start doing some translations, publishing the works of the ulama, try to get something going, getting getting some, some durus going, getting some, some conferences going, possibly inviting, you know, the tulab and so forth to come out. And, and you know, and, and it really, I mean, you know, it didn't take much to, to convince us, like, yeah, you know, you're right, we should try to do something because we do have some brothers here now. And so, you know, I, I sat down with Salahuddin and the other brothers who were here at the time. And we started thinking of what to do. We started getting some some money together. We started, um, you know, getting um, uh, lectures that were putting on CD. I started trying to start, you know, try to build things from from the grassroots. You know, giving out you know whatever we could as far as lectures and CDs of the, of the tulab and the mashaykh, trying trying to spread you know dawah salafi here and saving that money for eventually trying to start publishing our own books. And so that's where we came up with the title of, you know, Sunnah Publishing, something to do with the Sunnah, at least have a little bit of a, some, some tamiz to it. And that's kind of where things grew from there. So, so that grew into us eventually, uh, you know, having a, we had a place, uh, I guess you could say a, a, a Dawa Center slash residence for, yeah. for a while, a <laughs> uh, place, you know, place where you can put the books and stuff. But for a long time, we didn't really have a physical place. We had a website. We were publishing the books. We had a storage space to keep the books at, but we didn't really have um, a place. And we functioned like that for for a long time. A lot of us were working and stuff, you know. Up until years later, you, you know, you, yourself, Sheikh Abul Hassan, and uh, Sheikh Hassan al Somali, you know, finally advised us, you know, as far as like the the Eid. What are you guys doing? You know, we were still going to the Ikhwani uh, Masjid, the, the Arab Masjid for the Salawats. We would go to the to the Eid with the Ikhwanis as well. We would come for the Eid prayer and we would leave immediately after the prayer so as not to stay for the khutbah and stuff. And, you know, like, like you say, you know, I think it's about time you guys did your own Eid and, you know, had your own place and, and things like that. And, you know, uh, Sheikh Hassan advised us with the same. And so, you know, that, that led us to, uh, you know, seriously looking into renting a place. By this time, we had had the, the, the masjid and stuff, but we were still working on renovations. And, you know, and that's why we... So I didn't know, um, I, I didn't know much about Troy. Right. So at, at that time I just knew like, you know, the brother gave me some Abu Hakim tapes, um, Abu Hakim Bilal Davis. And I had been used to listening to Jamaican Bilal Phillips, right? So I'm like, oh, another Jamaican brother, Alhamdulillah Salady, right? And so the brother gave me the tapes and, um, those are the first tapes I started listening to. And, and they had a program, there's a Salady message in Flint. And so the brother said, we got to go there, you know, so they have a speaker come in, we got to go. So we went. And that's what I met Mawai actually at the, at the event and everything too. And did we ride in the car back together? Yeah, we were, um, yeah, I think the second day, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we ended up riding the car back together. And I was like, from that, I'm just asking him a mil- million questions, like, you know, about, about Salafi and about different things. Me and the brothers was with us. Um, we were asking a ton of questions because we didn't, you know, we were just, it was new to us, but we were excited and hungry. And, and so... We ended up organizing our first event right there in 04. And then immediately after that event, we started having uh, classes. 
And at the time, because myself and the other young brothers were active in the masjid, the um, the Aquani masjid, um, they allowed us to have classes. And we was like, we want to organize classes. We have our brothers going to teach. We're going to learn Arabic. We're going to learn, you know, sense of Aqidah, basic stuff. And the masjid was like, sure, go ahead. They didn't know really, you know, saying that we were calling the Salafiyah. So they allowed us to have the classes in there. And um, so into 05, we had classes, you know. We started with Kawaii Arba. Kawaii Arba now. Kawaii Arba. And um, some people who had some who had some knowledge of, of Salafia or experience with Salafia, they realized, you know, I think one of the times in the class, Kawaii had wrote the, get the, get the download the PDF from SalafiaPublications.com. And so one of the people saw that. And that's how he clocked it. Oh, this class, they're using it as the hook to get kids into Salafia. Yeah, they, they, they refer to the, to the class as the hook. They said, this is the hook. This is how they get into <laughs> Literally, the classes. They call it the hook. <laughs> so the youth, myself and all the other young brothers, like I was 24, 25 at the time. So it was, uh, brothers were like teenagers. And so we had like the majority of the youth in the mesh that was like, we were all excited. You know, we were coming away from doing all these other, you know, deviant things. They had like nasheed class in the mesh. That's how they were. They have, jacked up they were and so alhamdulillah the brothers were like you know leaving off that and coming to the class and so the message saw that and it was starting to raise some, some concern from some of just the, the parents and things like that too and so they used that as a way to try to start you know complaining and targeting us and so um through that we were i know at the time we were taking the young we were going on trips we go to other conferences in different cities i think we went to columbus first um eventually i think maybe 06 we went to um Toronto. Toronto. We went to Toronto for the first time, so I got a chance to meet the brothers there. And that's when I, I found out that Moai was the sheikh right there. The brothers like, oh, no, that's Sheikh Moai. And they, they were just like, they knew him. I didn't know. I was like, oh. It's like, you don't know who Moai is? I was like, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know he translated for them before. And so we started talking more and more about it. He had you know, already been talking to Abu Khadija about doing the books and the publishing and everything, too. And so it all came together. I'm like, you know, we, we already making money, alhamdulillah, for uh, trips, making money with the CDs for selling. And because uh, at the time, tapes were still, tapes and CDs were still the thing, right? So we started, we would go there, buy books and sell books and stuff like that in the local message. And they let us do it for years. They didn't mind us setting up after Juma every, every week to sell books and sell tapes and stuff like that. For the most part, they they had the concern about the class. And so eventually they came to us and uh, you, got, you know the, the story from them approaching your father. And stuff like that. So they came to us and told us, you can't have this class here anymore. They shut it down. Right, and they, they thought by shutting down the class because there were accusations against us that we would stop teaching class, we would stop studying. Well, well just to add, as far, as far as the class, they shut down the class fairly quickly. I think in a matter of two months. Yeah, we were doing the class twice a week for about two months, and they they, they shut it down. They were worried, but that we were taking youth number one, mm-hmm. and and then the second thing was that you know they they just started a campaign of just rumors, things that were just simply foolish things, the things that are just preposterous. Like for example. Um, and, and they wouldn't tell any of us this. They would just spread this to other people. So when they when they indirectly told us your class is canceled, we said, well, we want to know why. We want to sit with you. We want to know why you're canceling our class. So they're like, oh, okay, okay, fine. You know, we'll have. So we had a meeting with the shura of the masjid, the administration of the masjid, myself, Sahdeen, and our other brother was there um, as well. And we, you know, we, we went there to inquire as to why you're canceling the class. And we explained to them that our classes are based upon the, the Quran and the Sunnah and the way of the Salaf. You know, we're, we're, we're learning from the, the ulama of Saudiya. We brought the books that we're teaching. We were, we were going over the, the Sharh of Qawad Arba by Sheikh Zayd Medkhali at the time. And we were also doing Al-Qawl Mufid, Sheikh Zayd Tawheed of Sheikh Mahmoud bin Abdul Wahab al-Wasabi. You know, it's basic books on Aqidah, basic, basic books on Aqidah. 
And, and so, we, you know, we brought the books to the meeting. We said, look, these are the books that we're teaching. One of the brothers had happened to be uh, recording the classes for himself, just, you know, just to, to study from. So we asked him to bring the recordings. So, so we had the recording. And we told him, look, here, these are the books that we've been teaching. Here's the recordings of the class, you know, that we've done so far. You know, if you can find something in here that goes against the Quran and the Sunnah, you know, we'll, we'll stop the class ourselves. You don't have to cancel the class. We'll just quit. And they're like, no, no, we don't really want to go into that. You know, we heard some things that, you know, you people, you don't give, you don't give salams to the Muslims. So we said, that's, that's, that's untrue. One of the brothers tested me. He's like, okay, salam alaikum. <laughs> like, this, this is how absurd it was, right? Because the level of the people you're dealing with was, was so low that these were affluent, you know, immigrant Muslims with a, with a very, very low a level of knowledge in Islam. So this is the type of stuff you we're dealing with, right? They said, oh, we, we heard that, you know, you tell the youth not to obey their parents. I said, that's that's not true at all. Rather, we tell them the opposite. We tell them that they have to obey their parents. Or we don't we do not do anything like that. So they brought up, like, things, you know, one thing after the other, and everything got shot down. Like, okay, well, it's not. So so finally, they were left with nothing to say. So the the individual, his name is, is Dr. Ali Mutawalli, Egyptian individual. He said something. I remember his words to this day. He said, well, my friends from the FBI visited me, and and they told me that you have a group, you know, in, in your message. They were concerned about this group. And one of the other individuals, Ismail, said, he said, yeah, and it's growing. Like, you know, they were being <laughs> and, they, 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 and he pointed at me and said, and you, you're the ringleader. <laughs> right? So it, it was just, it was a ridiculous meeting, but basically, so, so finally, they didn't have a leg to stand on. And so they said, okay, well, we're going to deliberate, but, you know, we need you guys to leave. We're going to deliberate just the shura. So, so they, so we, we're out in the musalla now. They're in the, in the office area still deliberating. And so they had, they didn't have a shura member. They just had like one of the youth come and tell us, yeah, they decided your class is canceled. It was, it was like that. So we said, khalasa, there's no point in arguing with these people. They're, not, they're so cowardly. They're so ignorant. They just forget it. And like Saladin said, alhamdulillah, that didn't end the class. We just moved the class. To Saladin's home at the time, and then later our brother Abdul Karim's home, and so forth. The class continued. I lived right around the corner from the masjid, so we still would have class and go right back to the masjid. And they thought they were like, "Oh, they're still together. Still, still continue to grow." You know, even though they thought they were shutting us down by stopping the class. And so that was one of the things that they they, they, they were mad about. And, and the thing is, Abdul Hassan, like, like one of the things that we noticed at this time was how big an, of, of, of an effect the Tamyiz of a Dawud Salafiyah has in these types of places. Because what would happen is, when we would be in that masjid, number one, the people who come to that masjid, you'll see that everyone sits with their own ethnic group. The Egyptians sit with the Egyptians, the Pakistanis sit with the Pakistanis, the African-Americans sit with the African-Americans, and it was always like that. So here now you have this group, you know, they've got a Pakistani, they've got African-Americans, they've got Somalis, they've got a Bosnian with them. Like, what's going on? And they're all dressed in thobes and stuff, and beards, and so, like, what's going on? And it, and it just became so apparent that whenever anybody new would come to the masjid, they would automatically be attracted to us, and people would have to come pull them away. You know, just our presence, just being in the masjid, just hanging out. You know, and it just, the tamiz was so apparent. There's no ethnic division. They're all dressed the same, upon the sunnah, you know, and so people would be curious, like, what's going on with these guys? Because that kind of thing wasn't known here. Uh, I would still sometimes go to the war for Muhammad for Juma that messaged and they're like, Oh, the Arabs got you and you know, why are you dressing like an Arab? And I was like, the Arabs here don't even dress like that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, they don't wear the like I'm like, we try to dress like the Prophet Muhammad so it's a Sunni follow the Sunni the Prophet so they said them. 
and they would uh they would they would come to me and question me like why uh, it was a Bosnian brother he would come with me to, uh, why are you bringing this white man here to to Juma you know, they would this how how messed up they were right and so you know this, this is the kind of reception I got and we got here as we we went around and but it's still like the youth were attracted you know and so more and more of them started to come around and join and we had some some characters come along um, and so in that time as I mentioned you know we, we started uh, we started we had the CDs and stuff we sold regularly and then we started the website first the website first or the books first oh, at the same time around the same time around the same time so about 06 was when we really really you know kicked into high gear with the book first book we published you know, yeah the website was another thing about Khalid you mentioned like yeah you guys should get a website and like you know so so really like I attribute the you know he didn't say like the full name and everything but I attribute the origin some publishing really back to, to Abu Khadija because that was the impetus that got everything going. We had, we had, um, we, because we had that connection still to that masjid, and we had, we were able to have one program in the masjid. We had the classes there, we had one program there, and the second program, um, we had got kicked out, but that was when we invited you and we invited Cash to come. Um, that was 06. It was, it was 06 as well. Yeah. And so, um, we had we had you all come in 06 and we rented out a, um, a middle school, elementary school that was like just up the street from the masjid. We wanted to be close to the masjid still, so we had the program there at the school and just went straight to the masjid. It's just you know they were so irritated, like these guys are still coming here to this masjid and they're doing stuff outside of it, but they couldn't control that part of it. And um, we did part of the program in Flint uh, with the brothers in Flint, Masjid Hassan, and um, and that was the first program we had. Then we have I think we had another one maybe the next. Next couple of years after that, yeah. but um, but but that's when we published the first book, and um, alhamdulillah, we worked, we published Cash Cash of the um, Status of the Messenger, so like, so like. Um, and then you know, as the books kept coming, we published with uh, Hassan the, yeah. the um, Sunnah Prayers book. We in our, our chef instead, uh, we published one of his books, and we continued on with publishing and co-producing, co-publishing books uh, through mid late 2010s, 2000s into the 2010s. Um, so that was that was how it continued to grow, and we would go out, you know, to different communities and sell the books. Continued to sell them at the Kwani Masjid all that time. We would set up a table at the Juma, and for the most part, the people they still had some people didn't they had some care for us. They didn't really say you guys can't come to the Masjid at all. You know, they thought that was the rumor around town. It was like you guys got banned from the Masjid. What are you talking about? We had we had one guy come to us one time at the Juma. He was like the new vice president under Metawali under that doctor. And he said, you guys um, shouldn't be here. And he just came with some crazy statements. He's like, you guys got banned from the message anyway. We're like, nobody banned us from the message. You know, we're standing on the sidewalk. You know, we can legally sail here. And so we continued doing that from... That, that was the uh, Ali Majid. Yeah. He actually let something slip. He came to us one time after Jumar. We were selling CDs and stuff after after Jumar at, at the message. And he said, that, you know, I don't want you guys selling here anymore. This is this message. You can't sell stuff here. I explained to him, well, actually, we looked into it, and we're actually not on Masjid property. We're on the sidewalk, and this is not your property. We're allowed to do, you know, whatever <laughs> we can do here. Yeah. We looked into this before, because we figured somebody was going to say something eventually. And he's like, no, it's like, you guys are troublemakers. This is why you've been kicked out of all the massages. I said, we haven't been kicked out of any one Masjid. Which, which Masjid are you talking about? He's like, no, we, he let it slip. He said that they'd had a meeting. Different Masjid had a meeting about us. He mentioned the, the Masjid on, on Burton, which now has a, a Barelwi Imam. Barilwi Sufi Imam and they'd had a meeting about us and uh, what we were, we were trying to do. And he's like, yeah, and I, and I, I was told that you'd be kicked out of, you know, all the, the masajid. So I explained to him, you know, the Messenger of Allah said, you know, Kafa bil mar'i kalibin, yarwi bi kulli ma samiat. 
you know, that the Messenger of Allah said it's enough to deem a man a liar that he, you know, relates everything that he's heard and that you're, you're relating something that is a lie. You know, he became very offended and, you know, he went out, but we kept selling, right? And and so, it's, it's you know, alhamdulillah, even if they did have a meeting or whatever, it didn't affect us and our, our da'wah continued. We, we didn't need a building to, to, to begin the da'wah. The da'wah doesn't begin like that. The da'wah of the MBA and so forth didn't, didn't begin with having a big building. You know, they may have had small, modest massages, small, modest places, alhamdulillah, whatever we can get. Even when we had no places, we had, you know, the homes of the brothers, you know, who generously, you know, gave us their, their homes for to have classes and so forth. One of the things I'm fascinated with is the work of the brothers in, in the, uh, the prison outreach. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. with the work that the brothers are doing. Alhamdulillah, the foundation of the, uh, the marquez of the, of the press was dealing with the translations and the books, selling the books. The prison outreach is something that, is, that the brothers become well known for. So I want to hear a little bit about the history of that. I think, Tariq, you, you were a very important part of that. So I'd love to hear from all of you about how that uh, how that came about. Tariq, I would say, is, is one of our best success stories as far as the prison program. Yeah. Because that transition from prison back home is, is, a, is a rough transition, you know, to say the least. And a lot of brothers, they um, they struggle with it. Allah make it easy for them. So we always try to use our, our brother Tariq Allah as an example of someone who, you know, who did it and did it did it well by the aid of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Likewise, our brother Abdul Karim as well too. He was now nah. he was in the, he but, was in the state prison. But, yeah. but the IEP program, there's two yeah. things to note about the IEP program. One, the first thing is that we never actually set out to have an IEP program. Mm-hmm. The, the the way that it actually started was that we would just have brothers who had. Uh, relatives, perhaps, or close friends who were in prison that they wanted us to send some books from. Since we were selling books anyway, they would ask, you know, can you kind of buy some books from you and you ship them to, you know, my brother who's in such and such a prison or my cousin who's in this prison and stuff like that. So so, so we said, yeah, no problem. You know, we can do that. You know, and so, we, so they would pay the money and we would ship the books off. So now what happened there is now people started sending us letters. And, you know, when you're in prison, one brother gets a book from a particular organization. He lets everybody else know, Juan. We can get books from these guys. So now every all the Muslims in that prison, you know, maybe not even all the Salafis, but all the Muslims in that prison, they'll start writing you letters now. So now you start getting in more requests. So we're like, okay, we're getting all these letters. We got to do something, you know. And we 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 had uh, we saw the example of um, our brother Alamin from Camden, who had started the Dar uh, Salafia book uh, prison book program by then. So you know, we we spoke with him. And, you know, just to give credit where credit is due, this is not something that's been public, but, you know, really since the beginning, um, our teacher, Sheikh Anwar, you know, he's been uh, an advisor to us since the beginning of the program, showing us, you know, what to do, uh, how to deal with, you know, then we, when we started going into the prisons, because we started getting invitations to actually come to the prisons in the area as well. And so now we're like, oh, we got, we've never, you know, I've never been to a prison in my life. I didn't know what, how this works and stuff. So um, because uh, our brother Anwar works, uh, uh, as, as a Muslim chaplain in one of the prisons, you know, he kind of had a, a unique insight into these issues. And, you know, he's been advising us, you know, since the beginning on, you know, how to how to conduct ourselves, what to do, what not to do, how to deal with the brothers, how to deal with the, um, you know, the COs that are there and, and the do's and don'ts of, you know, navigating that whole situation. Um, and so he's been instrumental uh, in this program. I know we don't really usually mention that publicly, but, you know, he's behind the scenes, he's been very instrumental in advising us in those issues. Yeah, so um, basically when I came home, 
you know, my brother Slaudet, he's always swamped when I'm doing work, <laughs> all so much work. So, plus, I, I've been in a prison. I, I know how certain things work. So I always, once I really got into studying and trying to buy the books of the, uh, the Sufi books and stuff like that, I started. Um, so I know how certain prisons work, you know. And so he started showing me how to uh, how they, the IEP program. It was already established, so he showed me how to uh, how to work everything. He showed me how to work the computer and stuff like that. So and I knew a lot of people in prison because, like I said, I've been in it for seventeen years. So I started reaching out to some of the people I know, and they started uh, uh, just spreading the word, spreading the word. So. And it just basically, basically uh, took off from there. Really. And a lot of uh, the brothers, like our brother Rashid, Alhamdulillah, I bless him to come on and send it to him and then spread it around to that prison and it's, it spreads. Once the brothers, they, they, a lot of brothers is home from knowledge and they can't really afford books, you know. So once they see something like the brother was just saying, if they see someone somewhere where they can get books and they can get them for free or stuff like that they 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 jump on so and like i say it spreads and like next thing you know like school kills probably the we sent more yeah, books to there than anywhere you know what i'm saying that's the south of the community down there on school kill and they i think we sent them more books than in anywhere you know and basically that's 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 how i got into it and i kind of got busy with trying to start a business and family and stuff like that and I, Turn into a, a couple of our young brothers who moved from Detroit up here to, to come around Southern yeah, because there's nothing there in Detroit for us. So and then now I'm down there working and doing better than other ones. My brother Sadiq and Umar. Sadiq and Summit. I mean, Sadiq and Summit. I just want to mention something real quick because the brothers mentioned about the way they dress and how they people were um, attracted to them. They had different mixtures. Uh, when I, the first conference I went to in Philly, we went out to eat one time, and you know we all had brothers all had on their clothes. And it was uh, so we, when we were about to leave, the, someone said your uh, your uh, bill has been taken care of. And it was quite a few of us in there. Said your bill has been taken care of. I was like, ooh. So he pointed over there and said that guy over there. So the, the guy came over. He was with his wife and his uh, and his son. His son probably was like six years old. He said my son kept saying. That I want to go with them guys. He was Muslim. He said he, he said his son kept saying that he wanted to go with them guys. He said, so I just I guess he kind of felt I said, embarrassed or ashamed. I don't know what he was feeling, but that what made him pay for our food. The son was the only thing I can think of because he seen that we was dressed like Muslim, you know. So I think that's a really uh, uh, something that like motivates people to, to see Muslims dressing and, and acting like Muslims. Be that young to be interested. You know? We had a, um, a, a interesting story, just another story like that too about a father, right? So we had started the program, like I said, sending books back and forth to different prisons. We would get letters all the time from people, and so we had some brothers that are in um, Ionia Prison, which is a it's actually a, a set of group of prisons, but um, a group that kept reaching out to us, and it was known as a seventh brother in there. We knew some people that knew him. And um, I believe he has life, but he's in there active, right? And so he had always been inviting us to come. And uh, and so we were trying very hard to get into that prison. And um, we ended up going, making requests and doing all the paperwork and everything like that, too. And 
and the chaplain that was there, he, he was anti-Islam all the way. And so we ended up going there and went through the whole process and everything too and, and uh, requesting it, but we couldn't get in, couldn't get any response from him for months. And so we finally wrote a letter and by Sheikh Anwar advised, we wrote a letter to the warden and he finally you know, agreed to meet with us. And he was like, it was like his last week of work. You know, he was getting ready to retire. And so he was like, well, I, I didn't really want to hurt you guys. And he was honest. He was like, I don't really like Muslims. I don't like anybody that are not even my type of Christian, right? So he um, he actually um, was was like, I'm reluctantly helping us get in and giving us the training we had to have. And so he was supposed to put our class in there, our monthly class that we had, and um, set up everything for us and put us in the computer system and everything. We did all the IDs and everything. And... Um, we were like, alhamdulillah, we in, finally. You know, see the brothers, mashallah. So, myself and Muad and one of the other brothers who went, the first time we got there, they said, we don't know anything about it. He never did anything he was supposed to do in the system. He never processed anything. So, that kind of set us back again from trying to get in. But um, some months later, uh, just like, you know, any other time, we always at the masjid, the bigger Kwani masjid. And uh, at one time, one day, it was a non-Muslim man who came and... Um, he was just standing outside. He was trying to get in touch to talk to somebody. I just happened to be there. And he was like, you know, I'm looking for the imam here. Is he here? And uh, I was like, well, he's not here. Nobody's really here. It's like a time when there's only one or two people there. And so I was like, well, can I help you? What's going on? And he was like, well, my son is in prison. He just got sent to prison. And uh, he's a Muslim now. And he was like, you know, he, he wants to get some books. He wants to get some help. Him and the other brothers are there in the prison. And uh, he's like, I'm willing to buy anything I can for him. He's not Muslim. I'm going to buy anything for our can form if you guys can send them some books, send them some material, anything. And so I was like, yeah, sure. We have a, you know, a whole program and stuff like that too. We definitely can reach out to him. And so from that connection with a non-Muslim and his son, he ended up putting us in touch with the chaplain at that prison. And the chaplain was like, yeah, I'm gladly welcome to come to Muskegon. And so we ended up getting into that prison, you know, right away. And so that's how we first started going in is for the IEP program, going into the actual prisons and then teaching the class. And, um, Moaz, you want to talk about the class structure and how you organize those classes and everything in there, but that was how we got in through that connection like that. You know, eventually that, that other prison, like after that chaplain left, they got a new chaplain like a year later, and that chaplain was like, you know, he was trying to make up ground for that up the bad, you know, bad taste he left for all the Muslims that was there. So he was really adamant about getting us in. So we eventually got into the other prison too. But you know, you want to mention maybe about the, the program and what we do inside. Yeah, so I mean, the, the you know these prisons have requested us to, to come. There's actually other prisons that were requesting us to come as well, but we still haven't been able to to, to reach yet. But um, the brothers are usually you know they're, they're looking for someone to come regularly as a volunteer to, to teach. So so we were trying to get in there for that. We go in. And basically, the plan was you know we would just start with the, the basic books, Tadatul Usul. You know, I think we did Al Wajibat and Ionia with the Sharh Ahmed We used the Translation that Jamil Finch had done, uh, and so on, and so just to you know get the brothers used to just, just studying knowledge week after week, after week month after month, <coughs> that that type of thing. And you know, and the the brothers who are in prison, you know, they'll the, the people who came to our drus were predominantly Salafi, um, and uh, even to the extent that you know, like in in one case, the chaplain, even when he would describe them, he would notice certain things about them. He's like, yeah, you know, I noticed that the the group of Muslims here, the Sunni Muslims, he's like, yeah, they're, they're very, they're very adamant about the, the prayer. And I watch them when they line up and everyone's standing foot to foot and they're very serious about making the roads straight. And, you know, they notice these types of things. So the brothers who, who we were dealing with, they're predominantly Salafi. Either that or they were new Muslims, people who, who were, you know, um, 
you know, deep into some deviance or whatever, they normally wouldn't come to these kinds of classes. But we, we, had, we had a good groups of, of people. I think towards the end, right before the pandemic, we had what, three, three, four different groups? Yeah, we, we had the, we had, we had the one group in, um, in Muskegon, and, uh, that chaplain actually got sent to, um, to another prison. He got transitioned to some seniority thing, and so, uh, he tried to get us into his new prison he went into, but they really didn't have the resources to support it. They were kind of against him doing it. But at the other time, we got into Ireland too, so we had the two prisons back and forth, and we would alternate once every other week, we would go to a different one. And, um, and then they ended up getting a new chaplain at the first prison, Muskegon, and he was like, you know, they were so, like, part of the thing that they saw was, like, over time, they saw that the character and the behavior of the Muslims got better. And it was like, you know, we really want y'all to kind of talk to some of the other um, Muslims here, like level four. Normally, they don't even get any visits. But they were like, you know, we will let y'all come talk to them. Level four, like the troublemakers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so, so we said, well, do you got level one as well? Or level, you know, like that. And it was like, yeah, we got a couple of hands, a handful, because they always transitioning out. But by the time we were in, we had... Three, three classes, that one prison, we would do level one in the morning, level four, and then level two all in one day, like back-to-back-to-back to back to back classes. Our, our brother would like, he would be tired. And, and, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, the, the chaplains, the non-Muslim chaplains, they would notice the change in the behavior of the brothers, and they would notice the effect that the, the classes were happening. Like, like one of the things, like I was telling the brothers, that would happen in, uh, when we go into prisons, like I said, the brothers, they were generally, they were Salafi, but because they're in prison, a lot of times they've been left out of information and some of their things are kind of, you know, they're, they're still back in the 90s. So, you know, we went to like Ionia, for example, and right away, our first time there, there's questions about Bilal, what's, what about Bilal Phillips and what about Jamal Zarabozo? And, you know, we heard he made Toba, what's going on? You know, what's the, and I, and I can see in their library, they have books of Bilal Phillips there already, they have books of Jamal Zarabozo. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is a trap. I'm not falling into this. I said, so what we're going to do, we're not going to deal with these questions right now. You know, we're we're just going to begin the usul, or we're going to begin you know We're going to begin learning the basics. And so, what we did was we would start them studying those books. And so now, like we're studying al wajibats, for example, and we get to the chapter on tawheed, and Sheikh Ahmed al Najmi is talking about there's three categories of tawheed, and then you have a group from the Khawarij who try to make al hakimiyah into a fourth category of tawheed, and this is this is incorrect, and this is the kalam of the ulama. And we would go through them in detail and say, look, this is what the scholars are saying. And then what I would do is, I have, I still have those old books at home. So I would bring, you know, the Friday prayer book of Jamal Zarabozo, and I would show them, okay, so now we looked at what the ulama of Islam have said. Now here's the book of Jamal Zarabozo in his Juma Khutbah. Let's look at what Jamal Zarabozo is saying about Tawheed al-Hakimiyah. And we show he's clearly calling to Tawheed al-Hakimiyah by name. And so we've looked at what the ulama have said, so we see clearly that in a major issue of Aqidah, Jamal Zarabozo is opposing the ulama of Islam. This is why we don't listen to him. This is why we don't, you know, uh, read his books and so on and so forth until he retracts these issues. And so when we did it like that, it was easy for them to, okay, yeah, we'll leave off these books and, you know, we're not going to do this kind of stuff anymore. You know, and, and so it was, progressively, it was having a, a positive effect. Even like one of the issues was um, the original imam of the old Pakistani masjid, these individual He's still here. <coughs> this individual, his name is Idris. This is an individual who I myself, with my own eyes, witnessed him making istihza of, uh, of the sunnah, making istihza of, of the Muslims who grow their beards and, you know, different things that he does. He's not a person of ilm, but he loves to be on the mimbar and he loves to speak. And so none of the, currently none of the masajid have him doing anything. And he's looking for a place to speak. So back in the day, he used to go to the prisons. 
So he's looking for somewhere to give the Jummah khutbah. He already has a relationship with the chaplain, so he gets into the prison where our brothers are at. And they didn't know he was coming. So they're like, yeah, he just this guy just showed up one day and he was going to give the Jummah khutbah. We didn't know what to do, so we sat there and he gave the Jummah khutbah. So when I found out who it was, I explained to the brothers, well, this is what we've been talking about in the class. This is an individual, you know, he was, he was clearly, he puts his intellect above the Qur'an and the Sunnah. I witnessed him making istihza of the Sunnah himself, you know, making a mockery and making fun of, of the Sunnah. This person has no, no business giving the Jummah khutbah anywhere. And you guys shouldn't let him come in here because you, are, you guys already have a system. You already have your Jummah established. You do your thing. Don't let him do it. So alhamdulillah, the next time he came, the, the brothers told me they, uh, they, they, they put a stop to it. They already had their own imam. They were already given the Jummah khutbah. I guess he had been using a podium. So they had, they had one of the big brothers leading up against the podium. Like, no, you're not, you're not going to do anything here. So then he tried to go to the level, the level ones to, you know, cause they have a ta'aleem or something there to try to see if he could do something there. And our brother Ismail, who, because he managed the library, he had access to the level ones, even though he was a level, he, no, he, was, he was level two. The, he tried to go level four. So. Yeah. So, alhamdulillah, our brother Ismail went in there in that gathering as well. And he said, no, you're not going to speak. I'm going to speak. You're not going to say nothing, you know. And the guy never came back. He left halfway through. He never came back. But those were the effects of, of the tarbiyah that they, that they were getting. Yeah. You know, so just, um, you know, the pandemic kind of put a stop to all that. But we're hoping, inshallah, soon, now that the restrictions are being lifted, that we'll be able to, to go back there. Some of our brothers have come out, like our brother Isa. And others, you know, we hope the more will, will come out. And then we ask Allah Ta'ala gives them thabat on the deen. Final question I wanted to ask is about, you mentioned earlier, the difficulties that the brothers face in going to these different masajid, the Pakistani masjid, Wazdi masjid, ultimately what they call the Arab masjid here. So my question is, establishing your own masjid, because we see now, alhamdulillah, the brothers are establishing a masjid, established a masjid, um, and are actually working on renovating the masjid as we as we speak. So I want to hear a little bit about the background and establishing the masjid, where we are with that, and, and talk to other plans, give me that for the, for the, for the future. Well, well, one thing I would say that we've learned the hard way about establishing a masjid is that you actually don't really need much to establish a masjid. Like, it's one thing... You know, we, we looked at it in the beginning like, okay, we have to get a building. And originally the building that we were looking at was a house. We were just looking at getting a small place. And then, you know, there were some other brothers who, alhamdulillah, they meant well. But they kind of like, you know, they, 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 they gassed us up. No, no, you guys need a bigger place. You need to you know, get, a, get a bigger place, look for a bigger building. And, you know, so we got, we got a bigger building. Alhamdulillah, we, we were able to get it. And so it takes time to renovate. But like what this experience has shown us, like in, this, in the current, uh, the temporary location that we were in today, you know, we could have done that years ago, and we could have we could have been managing that years ago, right? Um, and so, what I would advise people who are looking to establish a masjid is that you actually don't really need much. Your if you have a small community, your masjid doesn't have to be large. It doesn't have it. Could, it could be a, somebody's a house. It could literally be a house, you know, that you could get. Uh, it could be it could be an office space that you could rent out. You know, it doesn't have to be large at all. Um, and, and the, the, the main thing, you know, is, is just having someone there to establish the five salawats, you know, making sure that the message is open for all five salawats. And, you know, alhamdulillah, in our case, that, that, that's been easier than, than I thought. I thought it was going to be a, a big difficulty, but actually Allah has made it easy and it's been, it's been fairly easy. And, you know, we have a good group of brothers and we, you know, we try to make sure that someone is there for every salah. So the message is always open 
for, for every salat. Um, you know, so what I would advise people who are in small communities like where, where we were, it, it's actually not as difficult as you think. You just have to think properly, you know, about it. Like we were, you know, like our Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Hassan was telling us today about, you know, the, the first school that Sheikh Abdullah uh, uh, Qara'a was from his shop, right? I mean, you, you when you think of a school, you think of a school. You don't think a, a shop could also be a school, you know, so you sometimes you have to change the way you're, you're thinking about, about things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, so the the message is project itself and everything too, because um, because of my family being here and, and having known known people in all of the city and my connection with some of the people in all these different communities, um, I knew a lot. I knew of a lot of buildings and things like that. Um, I actually had a family member who was a pastor, and he has a couple of buildings. And, and, and when I was church at one point, I was like, we were pushing hard to say, hey. Why don't you just let us rent your church? Why don't you let us buy it from you? You know, let us, you're not even using it anymore. And um, he didn't want to give it up because it was in prime real estate area. You know, the area is being gentrified. But um, he was like, well, I know of somebody else who's selling the church. Uh, I was like, well, can you talk to him for us? Because I was like, if we go talk to him, they probably say, no, no Muslims are taking our church. But if you go as a, as a Christian and just ask them, it may, you know, soften it up. So he talked to the guy initially, had the initial conversation. And he said, yeah, I'm, he's a motivated seller. And so um, we we uh, when I finally met with him and approached him, he was interested in selling. It was a very decent price for the place. It was it was like a house that they added on to and made it into a church. And um, we were we were all over trying to get it. Uh, he ended up talking to his wife, who was actually the, the you know who was actually the person in charge of it. Her father was a previous pastor passed away, and she was in charge. And so she came back and doubled the price. And we said that's fine. Can we get a promissory note? You know that you will sell it to us if we can get the money. And so we put together to try to fundraise the money we could to get what we needed to get that building. And then they changed their mind. They changed, they changed their mind. And we it's were still looking, a church to this day. Yeah, it's still oh, a church to this day. Yeah, they ended up remodeling it and didn't sell it and anything, right? So um, we, we we went back to the drawing board. Part of the, part of the, part of the reason why we were looking for churches is because we didn't want to go through a whole bunch of zoning change issues with getting a place that was commercial and having to get approved from the city because the city here is very strict about anything like that. And so I know even back with the, with the War of D, Muhammad community, that they had got denied a place here because they, there wasn't enough parking in, in the area they were in. So I was like, let's avoid that all together. We can just buy a church that's already a church. And so we were looking at some places, but they were smaller. And um, as our brother mentioned, we were not necessarily gassed up, but we were just looking at, okay, let's look at churches. And so the place that we found, we had narrowed it down to two locations. And um, the place that we found, um, they they had a they, they were motivated sellers too, and we didn't know, so we made them an offer, and they jumped on it right away. And alhamdulillah, we, we ended up. The other place was they, they wouldn't budge on the price, and so we took the building that we had. Alhamdulillah, and, and it's it's been a it's been an interesting process because we didn't know not not knowing much about real estate and going into things, we didn't know about how to go look at the code violations and all these different things that you may run into, and so when we purchased the building and got the ownership papers and filed the title deeds and everything to the city. So oh, now you're the owners. Here's all your code violations. They're now assigned to you. And so they had so many on that building that um, they basically condemned the building as soon as we got it. You know, they said, you can't even use it. And so you need to fix all of these things that are that are that are wrong with the building before you can actually use it. And so that's where we started at. Um, at the time, it was 2014. We were doing a search and found that first church in 2015. We closed on that building. Um, and so since that time, 
you know, we've been working steadily on trying to get the things they need. And, and, and initially they came back to us and said, well, the place is not really a church anymore anyway. It hasn't been used in so long that it's no longer zoning a church. So now you have to get go through that process of requesting the zoning. So in order to do that, you have to fill out this permit request. You have to go in front of the planning commission. You have to have public hearings. You have to hire architects. You have to do designs, drawings. And so this is just the, in the beginning phase. They condemned this, and then they said, you have to go through this process. And so basically our first year only in the place, we went through all of that process. Um, uh, part of it was, you know, they required us to go out, get canvas the community and get support from the neighbors because they were going to have the neighbors come in and speak publicly, either for or against it. You know, it's a public hearing. And so we, we did, you know, we did months of canvassing, talking to the neighbors, explaining to what we were planning on doing. Uh, it was in a rough area. It's, in, in, technically, alhamdulillah, since we purchased it, got better a little bit. But um, the neighbors were supportive of what we were planning on doing. And they were surprised at that. And they were surprised that we went out and found an architect and went through all the, all that process and spent a ton of money to, to do all of that. And um, we had our public hearing and got support from the Neighborhood Association, got letters from business organizations. And uh, they were all supportive of what we wanted to do. Even the police, we talked to them. And so we got unanimous approval from, this, from the Planning Commission to, to get the building. One of the things they required was that we had to have a bookstore, which we were like, we we're going to have a bookstore anyway. They <laughs> said, so you're in the shopping district, so we want to have some business, not just a, a place of worship that's going to be closed a lot. And we said, no, no, our message will be open five times a day. And they were like, really? Most are just open on Juma, right? So those were part of the, part of the things that we dealt with the city. And so we, we were going to start working on those things inside, uh, maybe 2016. But the roof had so much damage on it that we had to just stop everything and had a whole roof replaced. And, and the brick and the masonry, yeah, we had to hire a mason that was part of the brick wall was falling in, so uh, near the roof. So we had to spend our first year or two with the city and getting all that work done. So we really, until 2017, didn't start working inside the building. Um, and as we were looking to try to reconnect the boiler, the old furnaces were in there. We discovered it was asbestos, and so we had to have that whole thing, you know, taken care of. So that, that took us, like I said, 2018. Um, we were, we were kind of getting done with all our demolition in the building and, uh, we were advised by some contractors to just go ahead and just cut the whole place out, just start from scratch because the material, all the, all the mechanical stuff inside of it was, was useless. And so we kind of took it back to the drawing board and said, let's, um, let's, let's just, you know, be patient and, and, and wait until we can, you know, get this building done the right way because we want to have it long-term You know, we make this investment into it. And, um, around that time. You know, we were still going to the Kwani Meshit and we were still having the classes in our houses, you know, at that time. So from 20, 2005 time all the way to 2018, we were still having classes in our houses. And so we we, um, we had made a connection with the Neighborhood Association. They have a community center. And so we ended up talking to them. And actually in 2018, we started renting out the community center on a weekly basis to have our classes and things like that. Right. So. Um, and by twenty end of twenty nineteen, we said, you know, let's let's go ahead. It's going to take us longer to finish the building. Let's go ahead and rent the place after getting uh, getting uh, some advice and to see how from from the, from our stead and, and going overseas to, to, to meet with the ulama about about that decision. Alhamdulillah, you know, we were, we were advised to go forward with it. You want to mention that that advice and stuff you know, about, about the opening the masjid. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the main reason that we went on the, that, that armor trip, the last armor trip that we got in, uh, you know, before the, the pandemic, you know, and then that, um, you know, but that was the, we literally had, the, the day after we got back from the from the armor trip, we literally had the key in, in our hands. So that's why we, we scrambled to, 
to go on the armor trip because you know we figured okay if the message is actually open we can't all go at the same time so you know we gotta try to scramble get one armor trip in and we can get some advice from from the ulama and, and the mashaykh that you know get, alhamdulillah we had an excellent sitting with sheikh obeyed that that armor trip and then you know we, we we got some good advice you know with alhamdulillah on, on a number of different fronts from, from sheikh obeyed uh, and, you, and you were you were there so you you, you know more about that you know um but alhamdulillah, literally the day after we came back, we had the key in our hands and we were opening up this, this place. So we was steadily, alhamdulillah, we ended up um, last, that, that, that year, 20, 2019 to 2020, we ended up, um, the building itself that we purchased was a mixed-use building. So it was actually retail storefronts downstairs, two of them side by side. And then upstairs were four apartments. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, um, we looked at, you know, actually we were initially planning to keep the apartments renovate them and then rent them out to you know the muslims the city came back so you can't you can't say i'm gonna rent, rent to only muslims because that's discrimination so we said well we won't say that obviously but you know in practice we thought about it but um after kind of just looking at you know what the condition it was in the amount of money and effort it was going to take to be renovated to manage it all those things like that too we looked at alternatives and one of the things that we thought about doing for a long time was having like a school for the children and by this time now you're talking 15 years in we had now children, they're growing up. We need a place for them. Brothers are getting married. People are having, families are growing, right? We're not young guys anymore. So we said we need to definitely have something for our children. And um, that was one of the decisions we made. So we went back to the city and said we want to change the upstairs into classrooms to just make it a school. And they said, okay, that's fine. You can do that. But you have to go through that whole process all over again. <laughs> so so we had to hire an architect again. We had to go through the process again, have a public hearing again, all of that stuff all over again. And so alhamdulillah, by the end of 20... Um, 2020 last summer basically about last september august september we had our second public hearing and we got unanimous approval again and uh they allowed us to change it upstairs to to classrooms now so inshallah in the future we'll have the masjid downstairs on the first floor and we'll have it upstairs for classrooms so we can school for the children and beyond if we can in addition to that you know they went ahead and allowed us to be able to use it for overflow for the masjid too so now instead of having you know 100 plus people now we can have almost 200 plus people in the building and um, so that's that's what we're working toward now. So we had the old upstairs dem- demolished, and uh, we're having all the mechanicals adjusted now, so they can accommodate both uh, school upstairs and the mesh downstairs. And so that's kind of where we are this summer. We're, we're trying to work to get finished with the mechanicals. Alhamdulillah, we're steadily getting some approval on on the, all all the things that are getting done. And um, and once we finish with all the mechanical approvals, all the plumbing's done, HVAC is done, all the electrical stuff is done. Then we can start doing the drywall, floors, windows, those things, and, and eventually, inshallah, move in at least a part of the building. We're targeting to move into the first floor. Leave the second floor is phase two. Continue working on it later, but move in and transit from the temporary location to that building. So that's our plan for this year, inshallah. And then we ask Allah subhanahu wa to give us tafiq. Mm-hmm. But, but that's the goal for this year, to get moved into at least the first floor. And then next year, try to finish up the second floor and have the school ready, inshallah, for the children. So we have, you know, phased approach, and there's other things that we want to do, um, other things we have to do for the city, like we have to redo the parking lot, plant flowers, bushes, trees, all that kind of stuff too around it, but they're allowing us to do it in phases. So, you know, as we fix things, they'll come and inspect it, and then move up next phase, next building. So it's been a slow process, but alhamdulillah, we, we've, we've been in the building since 20, January 2020, the temporary location, and uh, it's, been, it's been an opportunity for us to have our classes, to have our um, our regular five days of the the Juma Kutbah, 
you know, even through the pandemic, you know, we like everybody else, we were shut down and restricted and restricted. And now, alhamdulillah, this coming week, inshallah, we'll be welcoming sisters back to, for, for Jummah and for, for the Salat and everything, too. So we're looking forward to for that. And I know all of them are as well, too, because they've been home for a long time. So alhamdulillah, right now we have... Um, we have our regular classes in the masjid. Um, our brother, uh, Muad, he's teaching uh, now three classes a week. We have um, a Peter class on Friday. On Saturday, we have a fifth class. And on Sunday, we have a sister's class. The sisters have been asking, as you mentioned, for years. You know, we want a class for us. We want a class for us. And last year, alhamdulillah, our brother, he started a class just for the sisters. Alhamdulillah. So that's been our consistent thing. And alhamdulillah, this weekend, our first program, the official program, and everything. So, Barakallahu for coming and, and benefiting us. Alhamdulillah, it's been a, it's been a nitma. Um, as our brother Tark mentioned, you know, a lot of brothers have been coming home that we've been involved with and have been writing to, and we've met some brothers and everything too. We we even seen some brothers who we we visited inside the prison. Now they're home, and uh, they're able to you know kind of reach back into talk to brothers in the prison and everything too. And and uh, it's, it's been a nitma. You know, sometimes you have, as we know, brothers who come out and they're not able to stay strong and firm, but we have brothers like Tariq and other brothers in our community who go and still talk to those brothers and call them regularly too. Come to the masjid, come for salat, come to Juma, come to the class, come be around the Muslim, be around your brothers, and that'll help you. You know, so we have we have that kind of effort in our community. And as, as Tariq, you know, is going to be working on soon in the future, more Dawah and outreach. You know, there's, there's some parks and some centers in the city that, you know, it's wide open for us to go and to, to set up a table and set up things and do talks and stuff like that. And we've been we've had invitations to come to colleges, hospitals, and parks and everywhere to come speak and talk about Islam. And so it's something that uh, we definitely want to do in the future, inshallah. You know, as we as we get get um, get the Meshit project finished, we will have a place to tell people really come to the bookstore. You know, come get just some materials and, and just be open. Um, one of the other dynamics about the neighborhood we're in is it's a mixed, but the majority of the community that is around us is Hispanic. And so many Hispanic-speaking uh, stores, grocery stores, neighbors, and everything, too. And so it's, it's a blessing that we have the book in Spanish now that our brother um, Rashid put together. Um, and so we, we was going to start working with some of our Spanish neighbors, just pass it out to them, and uh, call them, too. Call them to the song as well. So those are just some of the things we got going on with the message itself, and it's having a place of our own is, alhamdulillah, why you were still about not going to the economy. It's, it's, it's a blessing. It's, it's the, the biggest uh, thing that I noticed about having our own place is the peace of mind uh, that you get. You know, I, like I some of the brothers before, we used to go to the Ikhwani message, we'd be sitting there, I'd be sitting there for Jumar just getting angry, just, you know, <laughs> seeing all the stuff that's going on, and, and just, you know, the best thing is just, peace of mind because once you have your own place you don't have to worry about these people anymore like it's out of sight out of mind and you can actually focus on trying to build a community now instead of worrying about you know what, what they're all doing it messes up your crew shoot because you're so busy you know what I mean you're so focused on what is he going to say next you know mm-hmm. he's going to he's going to upset you you know what I'm saying so you can't really focus on the cut box so it's just been a blessing just to have it our own place man you just gotta be patient because, like, the first time an old friend of mine, like I said, came over to prison, he just he fell out. And first time, when he just came to Jewel, it's been about four or five years we've been calling him to come to Jewel. He finally came uh, this Friday. He did cut down. And uh, my cousin finally came over there. When we did the Walid, we came and made some lot with us. But I was so surprised. 
been talking to him for, for a few years now. So uh, just just being patient. Hopefully we can never know. You just never know, man. You just gotta keep on keep on trying like the Uma Uma Madu man. So we gotta sell it from last year and just call him call him for this because that's all they know is top league. You don't see these top leagues. They that's all they know in the top leagues that they that kinda look up to. They do any and everything. So they think it's cool for what they're doing. So and 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 I think you know one of the things that that is easily o- overlooked, just to remind myself and my brothers that cause I, I think about this a, a lot, you know, especially nowadays. You know, we look at where we are, what we're still trying to build, and the building that we're still renovating, and so forth. And and I think about like you know with the small community that we have, like you know we we got we got this far. Like I think about the you know way back in '97 when I first moved here and how des- Islamically desolate. This place was, and and I know that you know with with my weaknesses and my shortcomings and my sins, I know that I didn't really do much. And you have to realize that all of this is a blessing from Allah, and that without Allah, none of this could have happened. If you think about where the Grand Rapids was back then to where it is now, it's it's amazing to me. And and, and we have to remain grateful, or else this blessing will be taken from us. This was Allah enlightening to hear the history. Dawah in this area uh, to hear about Sunnah publishing your own personal stories as well. A lot of your personal stories help to sort of give a, a full picture, a full view of how things have developed in this area. To hear about uh, Sunnah publishing, the the program, the prison programs is very important, very vital. The invitations to the, to the different, uh, whether it be the, the parks, the hospitals, uh, different organizations inviting the brothers out to. to speaking what have you is a very important thing and the establishment of the masjid finally of course is one of the most important things um, in the area well i thank the brothers for taking the time to, to, to enlighten the, the people about this this is important information as we document as we document yani, the salafi call in different areas and uh, we want to make sure the people understand the efforts and the work that is going into uh, building these communities and building these these centers of learning um, may allow reward the brothers We thank you for listening with us to the Srahmaniya audio production. Until next time, ila liqa.